Hello again. I'm Richard Figge, and this is for Reading Out Loud. Thanks for joining me tonight. Well, St. Patrick's Day is coming this week, and on March 17th, it seems we're all Irish, at least for a day. So tonight, I'd like to share a couple of Irish fairy tales from a collection made by the great Irish writer W.B. Yeats. Even this introduction he wrote for the collection is a delight. An Irish Storyteller I am often doubted when I say that the Irish peasantry still believe in fairies. People think I am merely trying to bring back a little of the old, dead, beautiful world of romance into this century of great engines and spinning jinnies. Surely the hum of wheels and the clatter of printing presses, to let alone the lecturers with their black coats and tumblers of water, have driven away the goblin kingdom and made silent the feet of the little dancers. Old Biddy Hart, at any rate, does not think so. Our brand-new opinions have never been heard of under her brown-thatched roof tufted with yellow stone-crop. It is not so long since I sat by the turf fire eating her griddle cake in her cottage on the slope of Ben Bulban and asking after her friends the fairies who inhabit the green thorn-covered hill up there behind her house. How firmly she believed in them! How greatly she feared offending them! For a long time she would give me no answer but— I always mind my own affairs, and they always mind theirs. A little talk about my great-grandfather, who lived all his life in the valley below, and a few words to remind her how I myself was often under her roof when but seven or eight years old loosened her tongue, however. It would be less dangerous, at any rate, to tell me of the fairies than it would be to tell some toro of them, as she contemptuously called English tourists, for I had lived under the shadow of their own hillsides. She did not forget, however, to remind me to say after we had finished, God bless them Thursday, that being the day, and so ward off their displeasure, in case they were angry at our notice, for they loved to live and dance unknown of men. Once started, she talked on freely enough, her face glowing in the firelight as she bent over the griddle or stirred the turf, or told how such a one was stolen away from near Colony village, and made to live seven years among the gentry, as she calls the fairies for politeness' sake, and how, when she came home, she had no toes, for she had danced them off, and how such another was taken from the neighboring village of Grange, and compelled to nurse the child of the queen of the fairies a few months before I came." Her news about the creatures is always quite matter-of-fact and detailed, just as if she dealt with any common occurrence, the late fair or the dances at Ross's last year, when a bottle of whiskey was given to the best man and a cake tied up in ribbons to the best woman dancer. They are to her people not so different from herself, only grander and finer in every way. They have the most beautiful parlors and drawing-rooms, she would tell you, as an old man told me once. She has endowed them with all she knows of splendor, although that is not such a great deal, for her imagination is easily pleased. What does not seem to us so very wonderful is wonderful to her, there, where all is so homely under her wood rafters and her thatched ceiling covered with whitewashed canvas. We have pictures and books to help us imagine a splendid fairy world of gold and silver, of crowns and marvellous draperies, 
but she has only that little picture of St. Patrick over the fireplace, the bright-colored crockery on the dresser, and the sheet of ballads stuffed by her young daughter behind the stone dog on the mantelpiece. Is it strange, then, if her fairies have not the fantastic glories of the fairies you and I are wont to see in picture-books and read of in stories? She will tell you of peasants who met the fairy cavalcade and thought it but a troop of peasants like themselves, until it vanished into light and shadow, and of great fairy palaces that were mistaken until they melted away for the country seats of rich gentlemen. Her views of heaven itself have the same homeliness, and she would be quite as naive about its personages if the chance offered, as was the pious Clondalkin laundress, who told a friend of mine that she had seen a vision of St. Joseph, and that he had a lovely shining hat upon him, and a shirt-bosom that was never starched in this world. She would have mixed some quaint poetry with it, however, for there is a world of difference between Ben Bulban and Dublinized Clondalkin. Heaven and Fairyland, to these has Biddy Hart given all she dreams of magnificence, and to them her soul goes out, to the one in love and hope, to the other in love and fear. Day after day, and season after season, saints and angels, fairies and witches, haunted thorn-trees and holy wells, are to her what books and plays and pictures are to you and me. Indeed, they are far more, for too many among us grow prosaic and commonplace, but she keeps ever a heart full of music. I stand here in the doorway, she said once to me on a fine day, and look at the mountain and think of the goodness of God. And when she talks of the fairies, I have noticed a touch of tenderness in her voice. She loves them because they are always young, always making festival, always far off from the old age that is coming upon her and filling her bones with aches, and because, too, they are so like little children. Do you think the Irish peasant would be so full of poetry if he had not his fairies? Do you think the peasant girls of Donegal, when they are going to service inland, would kneel down as they do and kiss the sea with their lips, if both sea and land were not made lovable to them by beautiful legends and wild, sad stories? Do you think the old men would take life so cheerily and mutter their proverb, The lake is not burdened by its swan, the steed by its bridle, or a man by the soul that is in him, if the multitude of spirits were not near them. A Fairy Enchantment, told by Michael Hart, and recorded by W. B. Yeats. In the times when we used to travel by canal, I was coming down from Dublin. When we came to Mullingar the canal ended, and I began to walk, and stiff and fatigued I was after the slowness. I had some friends with me, and now and then we walked, now and then we rode in a cart, so on till we saw some girls milking a cow and stopped to joke with them. After a while we asked them for a drink of milk. "'We have nothing to put it in here,' they said, "'but come to the house with us.' We went home with them and sat round the fire talking." After a while the others went, and left me, loath to stir from the good fire. I asked the girls for something to eat. 
there was a pot on the fire, and they took the meat out and put it on a plate and told me to eat only the meat that came from the head. When I had eaten, the girls went out, and I did not see them again. It grew darker and darker, and there I still sat, loath as ever to leave the good fire. And after a while two men came in, carrying behind them a corpse. When I saw them I hid behind the door. Says one to the other, "'Who'll turn the spit?' Says the other, "'Michael Hart, come out of that and turn the meat.' I came out with a tremble and began turning the spit. "'Michael Hart,' says the one who spoke first, "'if you let it burn, we will have to put you on the spit instead.' And on that they went out. I sat there trembling and turning the corpse until midnight. The men came again, and the one said it was burnt, and the other said it was done right. But having fallen out over it, they both said they would do me no harm that time. And sitting by the fire, one of them cried out, "'Michael Hart, can you tell a story?' "'Never a one,' said I. On that he caught me by the shoulders and put me out like a shot. It was a wild, blowing night. Never in all my born days did I see such a night, the darkest night that ever came out of the heavens. I did not know where I was for the life of me. So when one of the men came after me and touched me on the shoulder with a, "'Michael Hart, can you tell a story now?' "'I can,' says I. In he brought me, and putting me by the fire says, "'Begin.' I have no story but the one, says I, that I was sitting here, and that you two men brought in a corpse and put it on the spit and set me turning it. That will do, says he. You may go in there and lie down on the bed. And in I went, nothing loath, and in the morning, where was I but in the middle of a green field? Shanchan the Bard and the King of the Cats by Lady Wilde When Shanchan the renowned bard was made Ardfile, or chief poet of Ireland, Gwer the King of Connaught, to do him honour, made a great feast for him and the whole bardic association. And all the professors and learned men went to the king's house, the great olives of poetry and history and music, and of the arts and sciences, the learned aged females, Grug, Grag, and Grangate, and all the chief poets and poetesses of Ireland, an amazing number. But where the king entertained them all splendidly, so that the ancient pathway to his palace is still called the Road of the Dishes. And each day he asked, how fares it with my noble guests? But they were all discontented, and wanted things he could not get for them. So he was very sorrowful, and prayed to God to be delivered from the learned men and women of vexatious class. Still the feast went on for three days and three nights, and they drank and made merry, and the whole bardic association entertained the nobles with the choicest music and professional accomplishments. But Shanshan sulked, and would neither eat nor drink, for he was jealous of the nobles of Connaught. 
and when he saw how much they consumed of the best meats and wines, he declared he would taste no food till they and their servants were all sent away out of the house. And when Guer asked him again, How fares my noble guest, and this great and excellent people? Shanshan answered, I have never had worse days nor worse nights nor worse dinners in my life, and he ate nothing for three whole days. Then the king was sorely grieved that the whole bardic association should be feasting and drinking, while Shanshan, the chief poet of Erin, was fasting and weak. So he sent his favorite serving-man, a person of mild manners and cleanliness, to offer special dishes to the bard. "'Take them away,' said Shanshan. "'I'll have none of them.' "'And why, O royal bard?' asked the servitor. "'Because thou art an uncomely youth,' answered Shanshan. "'Thy grandfather was chip-nailed. I have seen him. I shall eat no food from thy hands.' Then the king called a beautiful maiden to him, his foster-daughter, and said, "'Lady, bring thou this wheaten cake and this dish of salmon to the illustrious poet, and serve him thyself.' So the maiden went. But when Shanshan saw her, he asked, "'Who sent thee hither, and why hast thou brought me food?' "'My lord the king sent me, O royal bard,' she answered, because I am comely to look upon, and he bade me serve thee with food myself. Take it away, said Shanshan. Thou art an unseemly girl. I know of none more ugly. I have seen thy grandmother. She sat on a wall one day, and pointed out the way with her hand to some travelling lepers. How could I touch thy food? So the maiden went away in sorrow. And then— where the king was indeed angry, and he exclaimed, My malediction on the mouth that uttered that! May the kiss of a leper be on Shanshan's lips before he dies! Now there was a young serving-girl there, and she said to Shanshan, There is a hen's egg in the place, my lord. May I bring it to thee, O chief bard? It will suffice, said Shanshan. Bring it, that I may eat. But when she went to look for it, behold, the egg was gone. "'Thou hast eaten it,' said the bard, in wrath. "'Not so, my lord,' she answered, "'but the mice, the nimble race, have carried it away.' "'Then I will satirize them in a poem,' said Shanshan, and forthwith he chanted so bitter a satire against them that ten mice fell dead at once in his presence. "'Tis well,' said Shanshan, "'but the cat is the one most to blame, for it was her duty to suppress the mice. Therefore I shall satirize the tribe of the cats and their chief lord Irusan, son of Arusan, for I know where he lives with his wife Spitfire and his daughter Sharptooth with her brothers the Purrer and the Growler.' but I shall begin with Irusan himself, for he is king and answerable for all the cats. And he said, Irusan, monster of claws, who strikes at the mouse but lets it go, weakest of cats. The otter did well, who bit off the tips of thy progenitor's ears, 
so that every cat's sense is jagged-eared. Let thy tail hang down, it is right, for the mouse jeers at thee. Now Erosan heard these words in his cave, and he said to his daughter Sharptooth, Shonchan has satirized me, but I will be avenged. Nay, father, she said, bring him here alive, that we may all take our revenge. I shall go then and bring him, said Erosan, so send thy brothers after me. Now when it was told to Shonshan that the king of the cats was on his way to come and kill him, he was timorous, and besought Gwer and all the nobles to stand by and protect him, and before long a vibrating, impressive, impetuous sound was heard, like a raging tempest of fire and full blaze. And when the cat appeared, he seemed to them of the size of a bullock, and this was his appearance, rapacious, panting, jagged-eared, snub-nosed, sharp-toothed, nimble, angry, vindictive, glare-eyed, terrible, sharp-clawed. Such was his similitude. But he passed on amongst them, not minding, till he came to Shonshan, and him he seized by the arm and jerked him up on his back and made off the way he came before anyone could touch him, for he had no other object in view but to get hold of the poet. Now Shonshan, being in evil plight, had recourse to flattery, Oh, Irusan, he exclaimed, how truly splendid thou art! Such running, such leaps, such strength, and such agility! But what evil have I done, O Irusan, son of Arusan? Spare me, I entreat! I invoke the saints between thee and me, O great king of the cats! But not a bit did the cat let go his hold for all this fine talk, but went straight on to Clonmacnoiz, where there was a forge, and St. Kieran happened to be standing there by the door. "'What?' exclaimed the saint. "'Is that the chief bard of Erin on the back of a cat? Has Gwer's hospitality ended in this?' And he ran for a red-hot bar of iron that was in the furnace, and struck the cat on the side with it, so that the iron passed through him, and he fell down lifeless. "'Now my curse on the hand that gave that blow,' said the bard when he got to his feet. "'And wherefore?' asked St. Kieran. "'Because,' answered Shonchan, "'I would rather Irusan killed me and eaten me every bit so that I might bring disgrace on Gwer and the bad food he gave me, for it was all owing to his wretched dinners that I got into this plight.' And when all the other kings heard of Shonchan's misfortunes, they sent to beg he would visit their courts. But he would have neither kiss nor welcome from them, and went on his way to the bardic mansion, where the best of good living was always to be had. And ever after the kings were afraid to offend Shonshan. So as long as he lived, he had the chief place at the feast, and all the nobles there were made to sit below him, and Shonshan was content. And in time he and Gwer were reconciled, and Shonshan and all the olives 
and the whole bardic association were feasted by the king for thirty days in noble style, and had the best of viands, and the best of French wines to drink, served in goblets of silver. And in return for his splendid hospitality, the bardic association decreed unanimously a vote of thanks to the king, and they praised him in poems as Guerre the Generous, by which name he was ever after known in history, for the words of the poets are immortal. You've been listening to A Fairy Enchantment and Sean Chan the Bard and the King of the Cats from W.B. Yeats's collection of Irish fairy tales. I wish you a happy St. Patrick's Day this week. Enjoy the corned beef and cabbage, the cold cannon, perhaps a glorious pint of Guinness. Beyond that, easy does it. That's it for tonight. I hope you'll join me again next week for a classic story by the Ukrainian writer Nikolai Gogol. In the meantime, be well, be happy, please stay safe, all the best. (laughs) 